the exit ability of e-commerce operations is quite elegant and quite profound. And it leaves people with sometimes wonderful, uh, successful outcomes, even for what might be considered marginal business or businesses that don't have a lot of long-term value. We are Michael Vesey in London, England. And Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. More importantly, you are the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be. We're here to get you there. For show notes with links and resources mentioned today and for other GC resources like downloads, just visit our blog, theecommerceleader.com. Today's sponsor is Eva, the best AI repricer for Amazon Profits. Private label sellers, are you wasting your cash? Eva reprices your products for you, and the result is up to 50% more profits. Eva serves hundreds of seven-figure sellers in the USA and is now out for British and European sellers as well. For a 15-day free trial, go to amazingfba.com forward slash Eva. That's amazingfba.com forward slash E-V-A. Harvard Business School professor Michael Porter wrote an incredibly important book, Pre-Internet, that speaks to many e-commerce seller situations. And in this series of podcasts, we're going to dive into the book all about strategy. And we want to uh, break it down into its component parts. The book title is Competitive Strategy by, again, Michael Porter, Harvard Business School professor. We're going to pull some excerpts from it, some frameworks and ideas, and talk about them in this episode. Michael, are you ready to jump into this important conversation about e-commerce marketing traps in fragmented industries? Yes, definitely sounds very interesting. Well, certainly my experience of e-commerce is that yeah, fragmented is a good way to describe a lot of markets. There's nobody who's the obvious leader. Things come and go. Fragmented is, is the least of it, really. Chaotic is not the right word. But yeah, fragmented feels instinctively. So Michael Porter is famous in my mind for the book, The Five Forces of Strategy, or for the concept of The Five Forces mm-hmm. of Strategy, which I confess... Um, I haven't read, which is amazing because I love strategy books. Is this a subset of that or is it not really related directly to that that concept? Honestly, I think we're both a little in the dark on who his, who he is and what his work is in totality. I, I don't know the answer to that question. All I know is I stumbled into this fantastic content. And I was like, okay, I've never seen this before. It was published, I think, before. honestly, 1980 is before I was into business when I was a kid. <laughs> and But now we've got this rich resource from him as he's outlined these market dynamics that I think we can reapply. So I don't know if it's a subset, but nonetheless, we're going to plow through it and uh, look at how he outlines the ideas related to fragmented markets today. So just outline for us, what, what are we talking about today? What's the sort of general topic? So fragmented markets, what does that even mean? And how does that apply to e-commerce in the broadest possible way? Part of his book... This whole conversation of the market dynamics. And so chapter after chapter, he lays out the different scenarios in which markets can be uh, created or are the dynamics within them. And so he differentiates between a fragmented market, an emerging market or emerging industry, industries in transition from growth phases to maturity phases where there might be consolidation and then declining industries and then find actually global industries as well. All of these different descriptors and types of dynamics have different tactical strategies that therefore we need to think about 
and uh, and understand the e-commerce age in the last few years, especially fueled by COVID's rapid transition to e-commerce purchasing, has really created a dynamic in which many of us find ourselves competing in new ways and selling at higher levels and needing to understand what happens in these types of big market forces and dynamics contexts and how does it apply to our business. So that's a little bit of the the rationale behind what he's trying to do as he breaks down the different markets that you might find yourself in as you're a seller. In, In this conversation, I thought what we might do is pick apart this idea of the fragmented market, because I think it's probably the most common for us as kind of entry level entrepreneurial level e-commerce sellers as differentiated from the Nordstrom's or Costco's of the world that are selling online. That's just not who we speak to as a podcast and not who's in our community. So I think this fragmented market framework is really most applicable to who we are as a community. That makes sense. And I think that experience that all of us have uh, in everyday e-commerce selling would back that up, that sort of fragmentation. Mm-hmm. As you say, lots of new entrants uh, during the pandemic, a kind of new entrance on the commercial, on the consumer side, which is great. So like my mum made her first Amazon purchase under pandemic conditions ever, and she's now mid-70s, mm-hmm. so she's probably typical uh, of her generation, maybe something of a laggard with technology. But on the other hand, new entrants from, from the high street guys finally switching over to e-commerce because mm-hmm. they had to. So yeah, you're right. That's probably been part of the dynamics that's led to this feeling of fragmentation. Okay, so what are these? The, we're going to look at reasons for fragmentation, 12 reasons, I believe. So what yeah. is, what's the first entry? Uh, first? Yeah, let's rattle through this list of 12, and then we can cherry pick out the things that catch our attention or the things that we like and want to go deeper on, since it's a pretty substantial list. But basically, this is his list of why industries get fragmented and fractured up and broken into a million little sellers. And there's so much here that's relevant <laughs> to the, the e-commerce age. So let me just mention the 12 straight through, and then we'll, we'll come back and talk about any of them. So the first uh, reason is low overall entry uh, barriers to entry. And the second one is an absence of economies of scale or the benefits of an experience curve. The third one is high transportation costs which (laughs) COVID is fueled with incredible pain. The fourth one is high inventory costs or erratic sales. The fifth one is no advantage of size when dealing with buyers or suppliers. So you really have no economies of scale in terms of the cost of goods. The sixth one is diseconomies of scale in some respects. That means that the bigger you get, the more expensive things become for you. We've never talked about that, which is a very interesting idea for e-commerce sellers. The seventh thing is diverse market needs. In other words, when buyers are willing to pay a premium for special varieties or they want customization, those types of things, and sellers service them with those uh, needs. The eighth thing is high product differentiation. So there's a large degree of small changes or little tweaks this is really private label in mass. The ninth is exit barriers, meaning it's hard for people to exit an, an industry. The 10th is local regulations. The 11th is government prohibition or concentration, almost like a duopoly or where the government creates barriers. And, and then the 12th thing is newness. Whenever there's tons of newness in an industry, it becomes fragmented as new people bring new things to the party. 
So that's a list of 12 reasons why industries get fragmented in the first place. And I think almost every one of them could speak to the situation of e-commerce sellers. What stands out in your mind as you look at that list, Michael? Yeah, I guess the first thing is just the question of which market you're in. And the whole phrase that springs to mind is the riches are in the niches, which always makes me wince because that's not how you pronounce the word niche, but it's a useful little phrase. In other <laughs> words, going sub-niche or going for a smaller and smaller market makes sense. It's taken as a truism, an axiom, universally true for everyone. But actually, maybe mm -hmm. it's only true if we are in, and this is why the, we get in the bigger picture of what environment we're even in, what kind of environment we're even operating in as e-commerce operators, mm -hmm. because that's true for us. It probably wouldn't be true if you're selling crude oil. Crude oil is crude oil. It's a commodity, but people mm -hmm. make millions every year from selling it. It's not true if you're selling wheat or, or sugar, and yet people make billions in those industries. So I guess that that phrase probably only applies when we've identified that the industry is fragmented. So I suppose before I'm even plunging into any of those reasons, this sort of makes me reflect on that. I and mean, what are your thoughts? This is what springs to mind. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And I think there's so many of these that we could jump into that are of interest for e-commerce sellers. I, I think of, for example, the low overall entry uh, barriers to entry. And it's almost one of those uh, truisms that whenever you say to someone in e-commerce, hey, this is a bad idea, you should never do this, someone will prove you wrong by doing it in a new way. <laughs> oh, never take a product off Alibaba and just try to sell it. Well, unless you're a TikTok influencer and then you can do it and make money. Oh, never do uh, never do drop shipping. That's a horrible business. Unless you've got a big niche with a big email list and an interesting niche and it's a high ticket product and then it, you make millions. And I think this low barrier to entry thing is certainly something that keeps e-commerce marketplaces fragmented. It's just the nature of how the system has worked. There are so many sellers and that when you go on Etsy, for example and you look at some type of product, maybe it's a wine glasses that are etched or something like that, or maybe some kind of special thing that's you know you, that you want for your household, and you realize how many people can do that type of thing. So this low barrier to entry idea is fascinating. It really means that you'll always be operating in an environment in which the new upstart can come in and compete against you with their own creative ideas, energy, brand, social media skills. And that to me is fascinating. We've watched that happen in our little uh, corner of the internet for 13 years. And every time a new person comes in with an interesting marketing approach or strategy, we think, oh no. And so I think that one speaks to me because I see it so often. The high transportation cost isn't even worth talking about because everybody in the world is talking about high transportation costs. I don't think we need to cover that. There's no new ground there, but I don't know. That's just one. Anything else on the list that, that catches your eye? I'll mention another one if you will, but if you want to go yeah, back. Yeah, sure. I also mentioned, by the way, to everyone who's listening or watching that we are going to do a podcast probably separately because there's a lot here to unpick on common approaches to how we overcome fragmentation. So as mm -hmm. you were saying, we're going to be focusing on the problems today, I guess. Don't worry, we will come up with solutions. But yeah, the low barrier to entry thing, is uh, a problem for established uh, sellers and established could mean like you've been selling for two years and then you've just about gone full time and then somebody else comes in. Um, what else strikes me? High transportation costs. The only thing I would say to that, everyone talks about it all the time, is I don't think they've seen anything yet. I think mm. that sadly that's going to become huge as opposed to merely painful. <laughs> that's all I would say on that. And, and you know, what that does with fragmentation, I don't know. What's your view of how that applies if, if transport costs triple, for example? What does that well, do to fragmentation? 
let's GTO that out, game theory, optimize that out. So let's say that there are a hundred sellers in one specific sub niche, little corner of the internet, and they all have varying degrees of financial firepower, scale, et cetera, et cetera. What would doubling or tripling transportation costs do to them? The ones with the thinnest margins will be vaporized. Uh, and the ones that have the biggest system in place that probably have products across multiple niches or industries, or maybe have products that have high uh, margin that can then carry the water for the products that have lower margin that are destroyed in their economies of unit economics by transportation. This is a, this is a good, interesting question. So what would that mean? Would it mean your market competitors of a hundred people who used to get by and compete and look like they were a thing going concern against you? Would it, would it look like they would then, that would shrink by half or even like more than that? And then what does that mean for sales velocity and outcomes? Does it mean that markets would rather than being fragmented, become become more uh, concentrated on a few bigger sellers that have deeper pockets to finance things. I don't know. That might be an interesting dynamic that we see happen in the near future, you know? Yeah, that's very interesting. And that almost speaks to me to, to say that it is good that you frame this by saying there are different types of industry from the point of view of this this lens if you like so fragmented emerging consolidating declining global mm -hmm. and fragmented is what we're focused on but what it sounds like you're saying and I, I think that sounds like good logic to me and that's what i would say from not personal experience but my understanding of you know, business history is that indeed consolidation does often happen when the smaller players can't afford to to keep playing and the big players either buy them out or simply push them out of business by the way amazon yeah. itself is a great example of that isn't it that the internet, you know, and, and e-commerce shopping is reasonably diverse and fragmented, but it's nothing like as fragmented as it used to be before the advert of eBay, Amazon and Walmart, whatever percentage of e-commerce they take now between them, 60%, 65%, 70%. So yeah. it's interesting that within those platforms or within e-commerce in general, we might see a similar thing driven by, say, high transportation costs. I, mm -hmm. I think your thesis sounds solid to me. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What are the other things that are striking you as these some, you know, reasons for fragmentation? Well, I think there's probably a whole line of podcast episodes we could do on this phrase, diseconomies yeah. of scale. The mm -hmm. thoughts immediately spring to mind of when I've seen clients have that problem. And by that, you know, Porter means you have bad, worse economics, the bigger you get. But that happened growth waves or in plateau steps, if you will. And, and a clear example is, let's say there's an e-commerce e seller that's selling a good solid product. They've figured out how to source relatively well and uniquely with good margin. And they're selling it on Amazon. And they're making $2 million a year. And then they come call Jason Miles and say, I want to set up on Shopify. And I heard Shopify is a big deal. And we want to sell direct to the consumer. And by the time they start talking to Kyle and I and do consulting conversations with us, they've sold themselves on the idea. Like Shopify's, we're going to imagine if we sell an extra $50,000 a, a month on direct to consumer on Shopify and we'll have the lists and, and the data and on. And so they've sold themselves into that. And then the reality is frequently when we start to work through that with them, we say, you're going to need photography. Okay, photography, we'll get that. You're going to need somebody to run this website beautifully. So you need a graphic artist. Oh, okay, we'll get that. You're going to need somebody to get traffic to this website. So 
You're going to need to pay for that. Okay, but pay for that. Then you're going to need uh, the legal and brand related assets that you make sure you own those if you haven't done that. So that's lawyer uh, time and trademark stuff. And the list of ongoing expenses start to really pile. And people are left with uh, the question and the valley of despair moments of what in the world have we gotten ourselves into? We, we were humming along with good sales and good net profit on Amazon. And then we tried to scale to something higher. And we hit this horrible diseconomy where now we're blowing all this money on Shopify. That, that scenario is so common. And uh, we work through that pain with people. And it, it is a valley of despair because then, of course, they turn a corner. And what happens is they, they start to see traction greater than the expense and they're like, okay, we're breaking even on Shopify. Okay, now our first goal on Shopify, maybe it's our first goal is 10,000 a month or, uh, in sales, or maybe it's 20,000 a month in sales. And, and then they hit that. And then what happens is that flywheel for the direct-to-consumer sales on Shopify begins to kick in, and they start to see the added value and the, the thesis uh, plays out in the direction they wanted, or it doesn't. And, and they say to themselves, we hate this. We can't sustain this. We realize we can't sell motor oil direct to consumer on our own website or whatever it is. And they back away and say, this is more for a marketplace uh, than it is for a, a standalone website. So anyway, so that scenario by itself is very fascinating to me. And, and I think this list provides a lot of grist for the mill in terms of ideas and ir- issues for how e-commerce sellers can find themselves in traps. Yeah, diseconomies of scale is interesting because the question is whether that's just going to get worse the bigger you get or whether it's mm-hmm. in phases, as you implied. Okay, changing sales channel and, I would argue, business model. Direct-to-consumer business model, I, I think, works in different ways, doesn't it? So it's the cost of acquiring consumer versus the mm-hmm. long-term customer value and how long is long-term and how do you cash flow that versus the more brutal but more direct and simpler business model of, of marketplace selling. So... That's one thing. So business models differ, but I wonder whether it's also a question of going through certain phases. So I know people who sold yeah. a business for seven figures where they had no VAs, no employees, nothing, and they did oh, three, four, you know, four hundred dollars, thousand dollars a year, maybe pre-tax profits, EBITDA, SDE. And if they were going to grow to the next level, they would have had to put some employees in there, maybe put a um, third-party logistics in you know, a warehouse or even on their own, and then I would have expected their percentage EBITDA to be simply lower, but it would have been a smaller percentage of a bigger figure. I wonder whether that goes in waves. What's your what's your experience yeah. of that? Well, I think the, I think it is in ROI questions for plat it, there's plateaus. I think it steps along the growth curve. And uh, if you're become a big deal on Amazon and you feel like okay I've cornered the, the my little subcategory on Amazon. I know what I'm doing, then the question is how do you invest in unlocking new sales channels. And, and therefore, th- this is why the, the e-commerce space is so fragmented is because what you immediately realize is, oh, there was someone else crushing it on Google and direct to consumer on their own website. And I didn't know anything about them because I was focused on Amazon or somebody else is on walmart.com already or someone else is on eBay doing this well in a different way. And what you come to realize is that those little fragmented markets, you have to go and invade someone else's territory and say to yourself, okay, can I be a competitive threat to them on Walmart and do this well? And and that will cost me time and money and staffing and the systems process stuff. So I think that those are hard challenges, but so common for each of us as e-commerce sellers 
to have to work through that. Absolutely. The one that strikes me today, which even a few days ago, I listened to a podcast by a guy called Steve Larson, who runs, uh, I think it's called Sales Funnel Radio, just to credit him with this. And he did a little breakdown of four different business models and comparing the gross profit, the overall profit, the, <laughs> the sellability of the company and comparing things. And it's really fascinating when you start to put together business models into one business, how the hybrid works. So he talks about e-commerce. He said, okay, the profit margin is pretty low. You said, oh yeah, the other thing is revenue. So sales price per unit. So sales are generally 20 to 50 bucks for, for most e-commerce type products. That's That ties in with my experience overwhelmingly. Yes, there'll be some exceptions. Info product, and they have a pretty low margin. The overall operating margin of the business isn't great, but you can sell them for, if it's direct to consumer, aside at the current stage, he said about eight times, EBITDA, maybe it's even more at the moment. You can even sell an Amazon-focused business that's fairly small for five times EBITDA if it's the right one. Okay, mm -hmm. so the exit value. The info product space, you can sell your famous, almost a cliche that you can sell a course for $500. It's very profitable in the gross margins. Amazing because there's near, near zero marginal costs with digital products, which you've talked about extensively and rightly so. The overall profitability of the business is great, but can you sell it? Seriously hard to sell. Um, because you yes. got to brand around one person and that's really hard to sell. And then the SaaS mm -hmm. is interesting because it's incredibly, it, it can be very expensive. The barriers to entry are pretty nasty, but the profit per added customer is pretty good because you add a bit of service base and you can sell them from incredible multiple, like ATEX revenue, which is crazy. And then there was one other business model that I don't know. Oh yes, coaching and consulting, yeah. which again, has good profitability, pretty unsellable. So it's very interesting to me how that ties in with this fragmentation mm -hmm. piece and exit barriers, because I think, I don't know what your thoughts are, but there's a, I don't know how this feeds in, but Porter's exit barriers thing, it makes me think that actually, mm -hmm. That might be part of why people are coming in because the smarter players know that they can build a business that's very sellable, even if it's not incredibly profitable in the meantime. What are your thoughts yeah, on this stuff? Of course, that's totally what's happening. And so what you get is this system that we all have watched, which is somebody comes into the e-commerce space and three years later, they've declared themselves as the guru that conquered all of industry. And they're now expert. They've sold their business for $10 million or $20 million. And therefore they have the claim to fame. And then they started coaching a coaching consulting business. And, and that's just so like cliche at this point is there's so many gurus who you look at and they're like, how long have you been in e-commerce? Oh, 18 months. I had a successful business and, I, and then I sold it. And and I learned so many lessons. You're like, yes, you you did. I've been doing this for almost 15 years now, which is, it is what it is. Things come and go. But the reason in their mind they've done all that is because the velocity at which they can start, scale, and exit a business. So to your point, the exit ability of e-commerce operations is quite elegant and quite profound. And it leaves people with sometimes wonderful, uh, successful outcomes, even for what might be considered marginal business or businesses that don't have a lot of long-term value. I think that's fascinating dynamic of what's happening. So yeah, I, I hadn't thought of that either, but it is actually a very meaningful attribution to the e-commerce industry that we're seeing uh, play out and who can fault people and who can criticize them. If you've come into a space and you've scaled something to millions of dollars of revenue and sold it successfully, and you did all that in 18 months or two years, then 
we probably do want to learn things from you and you probably do know what you're doing. You probably do have awesome lessons to te- teach everyone. And uh, yeah, so it just, it's just, it's Johnny come lately's well, you've been there for 15 years. <laughs> One other thing that struck me that yeah. he said, which struck me with you as an example in my mind, it, and the instant take on this, he said that people often will combine the info product thing where you get a very high profit um, margin, but it's very unsellable with a SaaS, which is a software as a service business, which is hard to get into or acquire, expensive to acquire sometimes, but can be very profitable and extremely sellable. So I know that you guys are getting with Omni Rocket, you've, you've broadened your remit, you've now got a software as a service business as part of the Alive yeah. with your information marketing mm-hmm. kind of an empire that you and Kyle are building. So yeah. What's your strategic thinking behind it? Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of The E-Commerce Leader. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as Jason and I did recording it. This can sound like abstract stuff while we're talking about strategic forces that I just have to pay the the rent or whatever it is that you got in terms of overheads, pay your staff maybe and get some products sold. Yeah, that's true. But this big picture stuff is, I think, really essential at certain points. First of all, if you're looking back on a year's operations or a quarter or a half year, and, and is it working? Is it achieving what you want for yourself, for your family, for your business partners, for your workers? But the other thing is this, I think we're entering right now and recording this late March, 2022. Well, I think we're entering on a very big global shift in many things, including consumer demand, which may be affected by high inflation. And as you may have heard recently, if you heard my broadcast with Kyle Hamer from Jason's team, the whole business of the war in Ukraine and all the knock-on effects on food prices, oil prices, etc. So in this environment, I think the big picture thinking is really critical to help you make decisions about what to keep going with, what to pivot from, etc. So today we looked at 12 reasons industries get fragmented and a lot of those are very relevant to our everyday experience as Amazon or e-commerce sellers. Low overall entries of barriers, absence of economies of scale, high transport costs, goodness knows all of us know about that at the moment, high inventory costs or erratic sales. I think a lot of us have had both of those things, no advantages of size when dealing with buyers or suppliers. That's more variable, I would say. Diseconomies of scale. So in other words, the bigger you get, the more it costs you. They can be quite a thing that people have you know, encountered in my experience, particularly in the masterminds uh, where I see different sizes of businesses and the sort of growth curve over the period of time, four years now we've been working with them. So anyway, that is the sort of thing that we are trying to provoke you to think about probably more questions than answers hopefully you enjoyed it if you have please don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast player on spotify you can follow the show and you can also rate it so give us a rating out of one to five stars please do follow us if spotify is your player of choice apple Podcasts also lets you follow or then you word for subscribe and you can also leave a rating there you can also leave a little written review if you're willing to take that extra 30 seconds it would mean a great deal to us as um, we work hard and put a lot of time and energy into the podcast and we would love to just get a little bit of the love back but the main thing is we want to make sure that we serve you as best we can and we honestly believe you that that this strategy thinking is going to be very valuable to you particularly in challenging times thanks for listening to the show and look forward to speaking to you in the next one that was the e-commerce leader podcast with michael vesey in london england and jason miles in seattle washington If you liked this content, don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast app. For free resources, including PDFs and videos on topics like traffic, products and sales channels, just go to www.theecommerceleader.com. No hyphens, just as it sounds. Thanks so much for listening.